Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. When I would just rather be creating, I mean, that's yeah, that's all part of it and you learn to deal with it. That's still not stuff I love doing. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show is about commercial art, making good money and making great art. I'm your host, Dr. J Pizza, aka Andy J Miller. Illustration Age is our proud syndicate, and you can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on my website, andyj.pizza. You can probably find this on USA Today and on uh, the Huffington Post, and you actually can't find them on those places. Although we were on BuzzFeed, which is pretty much as legit as USA Today, right? We have a special show for you, ladies and gentlemen. We have Kyle Steed on the show. A fantastic dude. Just getting to know this guy. Um, you know, I've known his work for a while, but got to have a nice long conversation with the man. A humble man with good thoughts on this this whole life of making uh, uh, art a, a, a business and a life and a career and juggling that with family and blah, 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 all that stuff. He has some fantastic stories to share with us and some good perspectives. Um, I, I love that. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro on that in a minute. But before I jump into that, if you want to get the first 50 episodes of this podcast, go to my website, go to andy-j-miller.com slash info, and you can sign up to my uh, newsletter, the Creative Pep Talk newsletter. You can get a reminder every time we launch a new episode, and you'll also get access to all the old episodes. So go check that out. Sign up for that uh, I'm not going to spam you like crazy. I'm just going to give you that one email a week with a new episode unless we have some giant news happening, which we will have soon. We've got so many cool things going on, and I hate not being able to share them. It just drives me nuts. I love to, you know, be able to, I, you know, I, get, I like the lead up and then the big, yeah, when something cool's happening, but I can't tell you all the stuff. Um, but we got cool stuff going on, cool collaborations and opportunities and all kinds of good stuff. Also, before we jump in, I want to just say that I will be doing a all-day workshop on illustration, on the process of illustration, some of my ideas about 
what the purpose of illustration is and then the best practices um, and we're going to like do a practice of an editorial spot illustration we're doing that in Indianapolis on the 29th of April you can sign up at fusesessions.com Fuse is the whole dealio you get a screen printed poster with one of my schmancy fancy designs on there uh, some of my buddies from Element 3 Agency set this up uh, and I'm in some good company. I think the last guy to do it was none other than Draplin. So, you know, feeling lucky, blessed, and, uh, you know, privileged to do the next one. I'm excited about it. So I hope to see you there. I think there's a few spots left. So go pick those up if you're nearby. Okay, let's talk about the show today. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AndyJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. So, Kyle Steed, why did I have this guy on the podcast? You probably already know because you probably already know his work. He's got uh, fantastic work. If you haven't seen it, go check it out, kylesteed.com. You know what I love about Kyle uh, and his work is that it's just very thoughtful. There just seems to be a lot of intentionality about each piece that he does. I also love that there's not a lot of distance between him and his art. Like uh, a lot of the stuff on his site is videos of him creating these murals and, you know, photos of him making this stuff. And, and you can just get this sense that it's just a very personal practice and that, um, you know, that there's just not a lot of space in between him and art. And it's just kind of an extension of who he is and, and, and his life and his family's life. And I love that. I love the cohesiveness of all of the work, how it just 
looked really, really fantastic all next to each other. Um, and he brings some, like, kind of a special uh, difference to each piece. Like, they don't all look exactly the same, but they fit as an overall family of work. And I loved that. Um, I had a really, really nice afternoon chatting with this chap. Uh, I tried to do another CH after that, you know, chatting with the chap in a chair with some chocolate and some chaffee. There was there was no chaffee. <laughs> I did drink a coffee, and I was in a chair. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where I'm going with that. But uh, we had a great talk. We talked about doing what you hate before you do what you love. We talked about showing up day after day doing the work. We talk about collaborations. We talk about the kind of internal motivation to make great work. And most importantly, we talked about Harry Potter. And it was a good old-fashioned good time. Uh, Here it is with my man, with my man, uh, (laughs) Kyle Steed. Hey, man. Thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's start off with a softball, okay? I'm okay. gonna, I'm gonna, let, right. I'm gonna throw this one over to you. If you're at a uh, an event, a party, social gathering, what if someone <laughs> says, "What do you do? What do you? How do you reply?" And say they're interested, they actually care. Uh, I don't. How do you answer that question? It's so stupid. Um, I say I draw. I make. I draw things for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And if they say, I've "Oh, you to mean be- picture books?" Do you? How do you break that down? Yeah, if I say illustrator, people always tend to go like, "Oh, do you draw like children's books, or do yeah. you like books?" Yeah. Books always seem to be the thing people first gravitate towards. Or mm-hmm. if I say I'm an artist. People want to know what galleries I show in. If I try to attempt to tell people that I paint murals, I don't know. They they don't really know where to go with that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just I guess it always comes back to that own that person's own like history and their perspective. What they know about. Yeah, their perspective exactly. Yeah. So um, I generally just kind of, more now try and tell people I'm just an artist. Mm-hmm. All. Of, many facets that that covers yeah um and then if you yeah, have somebody's really interested then i could could get down into it like telling more talking about specific projects i've done and less of like what mediums i use or you know like what's your favorite pencil like who cares <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've actually heard uh, uh i can't remember stephen king i think i think gets that question all the time like what pen do you use to write? And it like infuriates him. He's like, what could you possibly glean from that kind of information? Uh, yeah. So yeah. And if they, and people don't know, I'm going to give you a big intro. Uh, I'll, I'll record it separately, but you know, okay. from, I, I think the first time that I ran across your work was through your envision t-shirt. We have that in common. I, I did one of those recently and, yeah, um, yeah. So that's kind of where I saw your stuff. But, you know, when I went and checked it out further, it seems like the majority of your work is murals that are lettering based. They usually, uh, is that, do you think that's pretty accurate? 
Majority, yeah. yeah. So a lot of my work this last year, two years has been that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and okay. Well, we'll if you want to go check that out, go check out the website. What I want to talk to you about though is this question, Kyle. Do you do what you love? <laughs> yes and no. Yeah. Why? Why? It's a, both, it's a both. It's a both and, and not an either or. Yeah. So question. you do what you hate uh, as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> it's such a. It's such a popular like catchphrase. Like it's a yeah. catch-all. Like people want to make themselves pump themselves up or pump other people up, and mm. like it's you know inspire other people to just do what you love. Or mm. it really spans any realm that you're in. People can say that to you, and I think that the misnomer there, what especially young people, people in school or people just out of school, uh, miss is is all the the years and the labor and the sweat that goes into to get to even somewhat feeling like you're loving what you're doing. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I still feel on a day-to-day basis that like answering emails, talking to clients, writing. I mean, my wife has been helping me now the last three or four months doing more project management stuff, mm. but even still being part of the the proposal process and, talking about numbers and when I would just rather be creating, I mean, that's, yeah, that's all part of it. And you learn to deal with it. That's still not stuff I love doing. Yeah. And if you, if you want to venture on your own, you have to be, you have to know how to do that mm. and you have to be okay doing that. And you have to know where to segment your, your time and your energy apart from just like living this ethereal dream that you get to just create all the time. And it's, yeah. it's a wonderland because that's not true. True. Um, and just like simple going through the iterative process with clients and sell and learning how to talk about your work and learning how to sell your work to paying clients and customers. That's sometimes that's a really, it's a difficult thing for me. I can only yeah. speak for myself. Uh, I think maybe others would share in that too. And I'm all, I feel like I'm always learning how to do that and how to do that better. The fun part, the part that I love is actually when I get to probably when I'm done with something and can step back and look at it. That's yeah. when more often than not now where I'm at, I, I love it. I like the process too, but I don't always love the process. Yeah. That reminds uh-huh. me of, uh, I don't remember where the quote come from comes from, but it's something like uh, writers don't love to write. They love to have written, <laughs> which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you sent me a message about how doing what you love more often than not starts with doing what you hate. And uh, mm-hmm. you kind of gave me a brief overview, but I'd love for you to take us back to like, early days, crappy retail jobs, what, what that looked like and how that kind of unfolded into where you are now. But, you know, like, tell us all the crap. Mm-hmm. I had yeah. the crap too. I got all that junk and I, I could go for days about it, but I'm, you know, I'm sure they're sick of hearing about it. So you, you, you tell us yours. I think the, 
the crap starts like in 2003, which hold man, that's been 13 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I know 2000. I've always feel like 2001 feels like two years ago. Like that's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, 14 years long. ago. <laughs> Crazy. We're old. <laughs> yeah. Getting seriously. Old. Um, that was the year I was basically living at home, working part time at UPS store, not doing anything. I wasn't going to school, and my dad. So you'd already graduated high school. Yeah, I graduated high school in two thousand. Right, and I'll back up a little bit from yeah. this point. But that was the moment in time where I was given the ultimatum to either find something full time, which I wasn't working in a creative field at all. I mean, yeah. I was packing and shipping boxes, which is terrible. Yeah. And retail, which is also terrible. Yeah. And he just said, work full time somewhere. Don't be lazy or go talk to a recruiter and find out more about the Air Force. My brother had been in the military at that point for a number of years. And that was like the last thing I wanted to do. I just never considered that an option. Yeah. And even remember when my brother decided to go in, I thought it was really weird because the whole time my brother and I were growing up, that was never, like we were never like a military family. Like my grandfather served but yeah it's never anything that we took i felt like i ever took great pride in where were um, you uh where was your family i was living in fort worth in texas okay right um just south of fort worth mm. but um so yeah i did that and just to kind of appease my dad more or less and you know they they tell you all the things you want to hear and how great it is and blah 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 and I was still skeptical. Like I, I wasn't, you know, I knew going in that they just talk a lot of bullshit and they just want to get you, they want to get their numbers too, you know? So, so you, so you were, you were at UPS first and then you, at some point, how did you make that transition oh, to go? The best part because I got accused. I think I actually quit that job because I got accused twice of stealing money from those people. Right. Like, one time I was completely out of town and they called me while I was on va on my vacation from that job in a completely different state asking if I stole money from the register. And I was like, yeah, it was ridiculous. So Man. finally the second time they accused me of it is when I had to quit. Um, you were like, wait, we're not allowed to do that? I, like, <laughs> yeah, what's like, what wrong? are you going to say? Like, <laughs> like, did you steal... Yes. What is there a problem with that? I don't. I, guess, I can't see how that works out in such a way that I don't know yeah. makes any sense. Like I was just so honest that if they surely they thought that if they called me, I would just admit to. We well, might be a he might be a thief, but he's not a liar. We know that. Yeah, <laughs> that's ridiculous. So you quit that job and then you. Yeah, talk to the recruiter. How did you get? But why did you talk to the recruiter? Like I, for me personally, I have friends that have been in the military. But for mm -hmm. me personally, that transition to even open up that door would be really significant. Like there had to be transitions and things in your mind that kind yeah. of cracked that open. Absolutely, I think conversations with my brother about it and hearing him tell me more, more than just my dad trying to get me off my ass and do something mm. like my brother just kind of explained it in a way that seemed to make it seem more just like more or less 
like any other job you would have. You know, you you wear a uniform and you go to work every day and you just kind of more or less do what they tell you. Because mm. um, the military, you just can't quit, really. You know, you yeah. can't. It's not like nine to five or where you put in your notice or you just leave. Um, so there is that commitment aspect of it. But before that, even maybe in like 02 or maybe yeah. early 03, my best friend back in Alabama asked me, and it kind of came on out of nowhere if I would go meet with a recruiter with him. And so I just kind of went with him just to tag along. And I was still just like shaking my head. I was like, this is stupid. Like, this yeah. is a bad idea. So, yeah, I think after talking to my brother and feeling a little more settled with it, mm. kind of, and I don't know, just piqued my interest just to be curious about it, to hear what they have to say. Yeah. So that was, yeah, I mean, but that is a threshold, like, that you cross over. Like, not everybody that who may have known somebody or even thought about it to make that step across the doorway into mm. their office. Because then that means you're actually showing some level of interest. And I feel yeah. like if a recruiter sniffs that out of you, like they're going to say just about anything to, to get you to sign up. True. Um, but yeah. And so it actually went really fast. I think I talked to my recruiter in like May and I was gone by mid August. Wow. May or June that year. Um, I wasn't supposed to, to um, go to basic training for like another year and they ended up moving me in quicker. So, yeah, that was that. Um, I think the best part, I only did four years. And the, my favorite part, at least from the whole experience, well, apart from we can get into this later, I met my wife. Uh, yeah. We met, we met on MySpace when I was in Japan. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, which shows my age, too, which I'm okay with. Hey man, I was uh, rocking that MySpace. I had all my oh, art yeah. on there and I was racking up those comments. It was, Top I had decked out my page, personalized. It was amazing. That's where I first, I think that's where I first found out about um, Keegan Jones too, when he worked for the big noob. Do you remember okay. that back no, in the day? I don't, I don't know that. Keegan used to work at Gowalla okay. when, before they sold out to Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and now he's like this world explorer. He's he's still a, a friend. He's an awesome dude. But he we lived up here in Grapevine in mm. DFW area, and he hacked his MySpace. And that's where I first heard about him because he was like that code was ridiculous. And <laughs> somehow, yeah, he wrote this whole post about how he hacked it. And like, yeah. anyways, that's but, funny. Um, we'll put we'll put in the show notes like how you can hack your MySpace. <laughs> How you can pimp it out and yeah. who is their face? Who is their big celebrity for the 2.0 release? Justin Timberlake. Was that who it was? I don't know. I I'm guessing. I think it was. That sounds maybe it's just NSYNC. They should have just had the whole got the whole Lance Bass, Justin Fatone. <laughs> I know Joey, more, Joey, jo Fatone. Joey, Joey, yeah. JT. All is there JT JC? <laughs> They're all Justin. <laughs> They're all named Justin. Uh, so anyway, you're back. You're talking about being in the military. I would love to hear what kind of emotional transitions happened while you're there. Like what's happening internally? Um, because I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I have friends in the military that it's a massive struggle in lots of ways. Um, I imagine that, was it a struggle for you? 
yeah, it's it's just a different form of it's just different people. It's a different way of life. It's those. I mean, I can't. It's hard to describe it because it, it's so it's so not conducive to creativity. Everything about it is is just soul sucking. Like it's just so rigid and everything is so drab and. I mean, everything looks like it's from the 50s or 60s. Mm -hmm. Like, everything is just muted and removed of any sort of soulful element. And it's a different way of being a human. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the way from the very get-go that they, you know, you've probably heard it. Like, they break you down to build you up. Mm -hmm. And it's all about just more or less... Um, I mean, brainwashing is a harsh word, mm. but it's about you conforming to their image and their way of life. And my biggest struggle probably through it all was holding on to my individuality and my creative sense and not just like, I don't think I could have done it even if I tried like selling out to that way of life, like fully investing in it. Because it, to me, it's just a joke. Like, mm. I think our defense budget is a joke. I think like how much effort we put in to it and like i don't know that's to say that like people serving is a joke but yeah or that it's that our country's worth defending i don't i'm not making those arguments or whatever but people take it so serious and i just think you got to calm down like just relax mm. because <laughs> and so to maintain that throughout was was the biggest challenge um I would have little outlets here and there. I mean, I kept journals through most of my time, um, which was a really good outlet. Sometimes yeah. my only outlet. Sometimes the only person I could talk to was myself on paper. Yeah. Um, so you having moments throughout that period of time were there were there emotionally difficult moments, or was it more like, yeah? I mean, were were there time? Do you have specific memories of? Like this thing was really difficult, or this thing I felt I couldn't get through it, or yeah, a lot of those. I think the biggest adjustment, the biggest thing, and I don't know if I would ever forget this. Like the first couple mornings of basic training, you go to sleep and you're so exhausted, and I'd I don't know, I would just dream I was right back at home, mm. like, and then. They cut the lights on and they play this like bugle music, like blaring at like volume 11. Mm -hmm. And my whole nervous system was just shot. Like I remember waking up visibly shaking just because totally out of your element. And those were getting adjusted to that initially was really tough. Um, I got really sick for like three or four days. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to. I had seen people that would go to like the sick call and then they'd get like held back by a couple weeks and I didn't want to deal with that. So I had like, I was like walking around with fever and the sweats and all that. And I was just like, I don't care. Like maybe it's just because I'm so stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not, uh, -uh. like I'm just going to push through this and doing that. Um, but I mean more than the physical stuff, like I know you keep asking about like the emotional and yeah, yeah I, I think my first six months, so I did Intel was what they classified me as, and I had to learn Morse code. Mm. And the first six months I spent in southern Arizona, almost to Mexico, and um, that was one of the hardest damn things I ever had to do 
because it's such an antiquated language and it's yeah. it's it's simple but it's incredibly difficult to learn and the the biggest part of it is if you're already familiar with typing which I was like mm. if you can respond to just seeing or reading and typing it out or it's so different because it's auditory mm. you have to listen to it and then respond and I just remember feeling overwhelmed and just feeling just like I couldn't do it. I just yeah. felt helpless, you know? I felt like, what am I doing here? This is stupid. Like, why am I even having to learn this? So did you end up learning it? Yeah, after six months. You have to take a test. I mean, you, you keep, you level up, you know? It's like gaming, like you keep going into these different levels where it gets harder and then you have to do different tasks or different um, tests where they mm. make it more difficult. And you, you learn like there's more like shorthand yeah. Um, codes that you have to, I can't even remember all of it now. Mm. Um, but finally you get to like the graduating level and then if you pass that test then you move on and finally did it, you know, I mean, it's just, it more or less it, at the end of the day, I think it taught me how to persevere and how to press through and feeling completely helpless and like that challenge just seemed insurmountable at, at first to, um, to come through that and to learn that like if you just stick with it and you yeah. keep trying and you keep practicing, you're going to get better. And that's stuff I still carry with me today. Sound, yeah. That sounds like an invaluable lesson about your mm -hmm. potential, knowing that you're maybe infinitely more capable than you would imagine. Yeah. Um, that situation where you think is hopeless and time, energy, dedication, practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, that, yeah, I'm guessing that has probably changed a lot for you and your mindset and did you do you think the person that left the military was a different person than the person that went in in certain ways yeah absolutely yeah i, I think um i mean it can't not change you right like it yeah. has you you i think even if i didn't do anything if i hadn't gone through that there still would have been some aspect of it that changed me mm. and um but i'm always i'm the type that I kind of see life like stepping stones. So we go from one to the next and hopefully it's, it's onto something better. Um, it may not always look like it in the moment, but you know, I have to believe that going from working in a grocery store to working in retail to the military and, and then coming back out of that and actually going right back in, I worked for a month at a bookstore yeah, and I just I just had this real this really depressing moment where I was like, wait, I just left how much a year for how much an hour now? I'm like, this can't be it. Like, I can't settle for this. So, what was the difference in the old Kyle at UPS to the new Kyle at the bookstore? Like, what what had changed internally, or why what? why did that shift? My determination, yeah. uh, my drive to make it happen, like instead of before where I just thought things should happen and mm. expected things to happen, now I was like, I can't, if I don't do anything, it's not going to happen. Yes. If, if I just sit here and just accept what's being handed to me, then that's all that's ever going to be. Yeah. Um, that's it. Go ahead. Oh, no. And then it's not like I wanted to like try and make it better in the bookstore because I was like, this is just... This is like me ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah. So that's the interesting thing for me as a parent where, so, mm-hmm. and as a teacher, so I teach a class at an art school and uh, I was actually talking to them yesterday about what, you know, why, if you, if you're, if you're switched on and hungry, what's the difference between that and then not being switched on? How do you, I'm trying to, you know, speak with them, think through it and say like, First of all, just to know, if you want to make art for a living, that is going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be a challenge. If you're not switched on, you don't have a chance. Or just it's not going to work out for you. And so, I knew that in even in college that I was really switched on, and I and I have been thinking through like what led to that. And I think one of the things was that my parents um from from as soon as I could get a job, I had to have a job. And actually, I think all of the things that I'm good at are um, don't help you do regular jobs. Like <laughs> they actually hurt you doing regular jobs, like uh, daydreaming, you know, being creative, uh-huh. like all that stuff. I think so. Early from early age, like um, I would be physically feel physically ill about a half hour into my shift at all the part time jobs I ever had, and uh, and I I think for me the hard part of knowing going through that is that um, as much as I hated that and I didn't like that my parents made me do that. Yeah. How much of a positive impact that had on me yeah. later. Cause I knew yeah. that I had to make stuff happen. Yeah. I can totally resonate with that with being a parent. Now you, I mean, you really don't get the option to be switched on or off. You can totally, make the choice to go on autopilot and just mm-hmm. like not be involved and not pay attention to your kids or your wife yeah. and, and just be, just be a, a dirtbag parent, you know? Yeah. But I find it's more fulfilling and it's more, you get more out of it, what you put into it. Mm. And that's with marriage. That's with kids. That's with my work or with your work. You know, it's, yeah. um, and I think the but other thing, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, it's just so funny that you talk about daydreaming because sometimes I'll be in here in my studio, like laying on the floor. Yeah. And it's like processing stuff. And yeah. it happened like a week or two ago. And my wife came in here and she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, this is part of it. This is part, this of, is my part of the process. work. <laughs> I'm even worse than that. I kid you not. Look, I'm going to defend this to the end. No one believes me. Seriously. A part of my process often is taking a bath. I know that's ridiculous, but I there's something about like I don't know if it's sensory deprivation or something like being immersed in water and I can just like think and I feel so like guilty when you're doing it because I have a billion things to do. But honestly, so much of the best stuff comes from the the walks or the baths or laying on the floor. I do think you need to make space for that kind of stuff. Yeah, they don't let you do that when you work at UPS. No, they don't have a nice soaking bathtub in the back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. See how much more productive their their employees could be if they could take a bath halfway through their shift. That, that, send them yeah. a message about on that. Uh, I will. I'll write this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, but you know, for me also as a parent, I'm thinking through like, you know, uh, how do you balance that? Like you, you want to protect your kid, but at the same time, 
you know, my parents making me do that was a big factor in me going on to do successful things. And, and I think for you, it's like, as much as you hated being in the military, would have you gone, would, have, would you go back to the time, the day before you signed the papers and say, don't sign those papers? I don't think I could. Yeah. I, I would miss out on so much. Like one, and we didn't even touch on this yet, but just getting to live in Japan that was yeah. that was an experience that I don't think I would have thought to have. So you, when you were in the military, you spent how many years over in Japan? Three. And what what did that? Uh, how did being outside your culture and 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 all that? How did that shift or change the way that you think and the way that you are today? That was really hard at first. I mean, really feeling, really knowing what it feels like to be the outsider, to um, to be the foreigner. What were some like early things early on that were like making you feel that way? Oh God, um, I'm trying to remember the first time that we probably went out because yeah. you live at, you you get there and you live on base and everyone speaks English, everyone's American, yeah. it's all very comfortable. But I can remember physically feeling different when I stepped off the airplane and you know Even you're not. the air is different in different countries. Like mm-hmm. when I, I lived in England for five years and when you yeah. step out on the plane, you it, it's almost like being on a different planet just in a chemical yeah. makeup of the air and the land and the you can just feel That's it. Right. And everything just looks a little bit different. Even the things that are familiar. That's right. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I mean, it's... That's so true, and but just getting outside of the base and the language barrier is one thing, but just knowing that you're eight thousand miles from everything that's familiar to you and everyone that cares about you is it's a lot to mentally mm. digest yeah. and feeling alone like those first probably first month of living in a dorm room by you know just um, being by yourself and. Um, I had a few friends that showed up a little later, but I mean, but for me, so I'm six, four, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm about as white as they come. And, um, even back then, you know, yeah. with no, with no facial hair, and, um, no cool clothes on just like yeah. buzzed head military <laughs> Kyle yeah. living in Japan, walking around head and shoulders above everyone else. Like I just went back and found photos on an old hard drive. And I was like, I looked like the biggest idiot. Like, no wonder. I mean, I just stuck out like a sore thumb. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but it was also it was also the best. Just mm. those experiences of of um, it just brings a whole new appreciation that we take for granted, and you know we don't. Most of us that grow up and that are born that are privileged enough to be born in America and grow up here and never leave here. I hate that. Like I wish that it was instituted that you turn 18 and you don't go to college. You, you have to go travel someplace and get outside of yourself, outside of your comfort, outside of your city and country just to experience another way of life. And I mean, Japanese culture is so vastly different from American culture. Um, there's a real like purification, I think, that happens too of like all of the things that you 
have accepted and embraced that are really more a product of your culture than a product of who you really are and what you really believe. You get yeah. kind of thrown into that fire and all of a sudden all of that stuff fades away and you're left with more a more clear picture of who you are, I think. At least that was my my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And just like serving sizes, like why the hell do we <laughs> why why are plates so big? Well, it's that's I feel you there. I get that. And I, so you come, you go over there, you go through that process and then you come back and you're at the bookstore and then you're thinking, I, this cannot be, I I can't go right back into where I was previous of this experience. I do think, you know, um, the process of the journey of suffering and, and going through, uh, problems creates a certain, type of soil in you to birth all kinds of different things that um, that there's no other way of attaining. And I think your point there was that like the do what you love thing really cuts all of that out. It's a, I think there's a there's that myth of like thinking mm-hmm. that doing what you love means that you're going to as successful. soon as you say yes to that, mm-hmm. it's a it's a one way path to greatness. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and happiness and how in, in the universe just says, yay, you finally decided to quit doing all the things you hate. Cause you, who, you know, most idiots just keep doing those things. Go ahead, come do what you love. Um, but it's actually, uh, there for me personally, ju- just to give you my background and why that resonates sure, yeah. with me yeah. is like, you know, I, I, again, I had to go through having, uh, jobs that I was not suited for that I sucked at that made me miserable that made me feel sick um, and then also coming back um, starting my career after college all the things I did with illustration that all the experiences that I had went mm-hmm. really well and I loved them and they they I felt like I was like doing my thing but it took a long time to get to a point where I was thriving financially mm-hmm. getting enough jobs and all that and so the first couple of years out of college, I had so many experiences of like lying on the floor, not brainstorming, lying on the floor like, what the hell is wrong with my life? And I, what am I going to do? And feeling super real pain. And I know that that, that pain transitioned into have thinking really hard, being contemplative, being strategic, you know, doing whatever it takes. And that created, uh, an internal, a massive internal shift from someone who thought, okay, I just deserve this thing. Or, uh, I, I think another thing I picked up in, in some of the stuff you sent me and on your blog was this idea of entitlement versus proving yourself. And that mm-hmm. is something that I think is really interesting. Cause I think a lot of us have this sense that we have talent or we have something that's really valuable And, uh, I think if you're, before you prove it, you go, you flip flop between I'm the most, I am so worthy and I've got the best stuff in the world and you better pay attention. And then in any second you could switch to, yeah, I really suck. I'm the worst. I'm total dirt. Like there's nothing in me until you start getting that stuff out into the real world. Um, and so what did that process look like of taking all that? Like, I know that I've got something but now I've got to actually do something with it from the bookstore to the next steps. What did that look like? Mm-hmm. 
I had a friend who, before we moved back, was doing old school web design, yeah. and she had known that I was into. I had done some graphic design prior to prior to all the military stuff, even. Yeah. Um, and so she was like, "Oh, you know, you should check out web design. Um, I'll send you a couple books." So she sent me like a really basic book on CSS and HTML. Yeah. And. All the while I'm at the bookstore, she's helping me, you know, put together my resume. Yeah. And <laughs> and uh, she has a she had a headhunter lady that she had worked with, and sent it over to her. I get a call back from that headhunter about this really entry level web designer position at this small tech company. Um, really more like an IT company. Like, I don't even know why they hired me to begin with, to be honest. But yeah. I went in for an interview and um, my friend kind of was like, all right, they're going to ask you about this stuff. So here's, you know, what you need to know. It was just so funny. Like, looking back on it now, I was like, I had no business sitting, so in, sitting in that interview. Yeah. But um, Right before I took that job or right after I had, I had started back at a community college because with the GI Bill, it's just a no-brainer. Like They'll pay for you to go to school yeah. and they'll pay you on top of that. Yeah. So it was easy money. Yeah. And um, so I was literally going to school at night doing this like intro to web design. And thank God they were teaching, um, what was his name? Like CS, it was all CSS design at that time. Like so, they were getting away from table-based layouts, and yeah. I could go into my job the next morning and start to show them and like implement this stuff and have real-world experience. Right. So it was it was crazy first like three to six months because I was doing everything in tandem, like learning at night and applying it in the morning. Mm. But um, that was kind of the beginning, and then working. I worked at that job for like two and a half years. And slowly started coming back around to my journals, which I had kind of put away. Um, I just got so into learning about coding and CSS and web design that I just really got immersed in the computer aspect of it all. I, I quickly started to just feel like not fulfilled enough in that. And yeah. picking back the sketchbook and just in my free time doodling and drawing stuff, that really made me feel more connected to I couldn't really use it at that job because I mean it was super corporate and they didn't really want to get too far outside of the box yeah. uh, you know I mean they people always say they want one thing but they really want another we want out of the box thinkers just <laughs> yeah. go in there and code for hours please yeah right that was kind of I mean that's not the beginning of it but that was totally getting that job call it luck Call it right place, right time. Call it just having a friend in your corner. That totally propelled me into the next into the next stepping stone of, yeah. of life. And um, so, did you? Were you? Uh, was was that a friend that you knew was doing something relatively creative that you were kind of poking at to say, "Hey, could you like help me out?" Or were they trying to help you? Or you know what? She she was really reaching out to me. She was so yeah. long story short, she and my wife were good friends before we got married right? and then get married and we get introduced and start talking. And so yeah, she just kind of starts poking me mm. 
And she was like, when we moved, when we finally moved back to Texas, we lived like five minutes from each other. So she was like, Hey, why don't you come like help me out? I'm doing a couple like small websites on the side. Maybe you can help me like design them or I can just like show you how to code them up. Yeah. But she was, we're doing like Dreamweaver templates and yeah, shit. like yeah. it was so, but it, for me at that time, I was like, what? And like trying to read about CSS totally blew my mind. It, I yeah. her, until I realized it was more like Lego blocks. And then I could really wrap my head around like, doing that and connecting the box. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of, it was just more of her wanting to help me and me just being open to it and being like, yes, like I'm definitely not satisfied. I'm not like trying to stay at this bookstore for the next five years, so yeah. what you got? Yeah. And um, yeah, so that just kind of started this. I mean, but like 10 years prior to that, I remember sitting in my room and laying on the floor feeling like, I have all this in me. I don't know what the output is, what the end goal is, like drawings and all this stuff. And like knowing I was, knowing I was talented and creative and whatever, but not knowing like where should I pursue this? Like where before the internet, man, it was just mm. tough. Like I had one internship in 2001 at a pharmaceutical company doing graphic design and I still have those sketches of doing icons which are terrible. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I'll just send you I'll send you a yes. picture of That's um, hilarious. And yeah, just doing these really bad illustrator icons. Yeah. And even that, I mean that was so cool. That was such a great experience and working with the creative director there taught me a lot. Um, but from that gap in 2001 to 2007, I just I didn't really have the drive in me. I didn't have that hunger in me to know where to, to put it and to, what to pursue next. So what changed? What changed? What shifted? I was, what happened in two thousand seven? Yeah, and that's like coming out of the military, feeling right. That's where ready. you're at. You go into the yeah. web design and and all that, and just not not settling for for what what I had before and pursuing what was next and yeah with the benefit of having a friend that could be in my corner and help me out and help fudge my resume to make yeah. me look what I was talking about a little bit I definitely but, think there's a big lesson in like utilizing your friendships and and you know yeah. a lot of more a lot more people doing interesting things than you probably think you do even if you have no major connections in the creative world and how much of a how much those relationships I mean almost everything gets built from there I, yeah. in my experience yeah and you have to be and like those my boss that I really feel like taking a chance on me and like seeing something in me beyond probably what I knew like yeah he probably knew I knew a little bit but he probably thought I was fudging most of it he could see through yeah 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 and and that's awesome like everyone needs that you know and um and so you start feeling like not creatively fulfilled in that zone and so you put what what gave you the intuition to go back to the journals and then in the sketchbooks and what was kind of, was that just a innate like hunger to do that kind of thing or you know was there anything that piqued that interest again boredom a lot of it yeah. i think from sitting in meetings i mean that's when i was in a nine to five that was my prime time to sit and draw and yeah. get lost in the moment because yes. i hate meetings and boardrooms are terrible places yeah and 
so for me, that was always like my favorite time because I could just sit in the corner. If I wasn't, I mean, most of the time I was just sitting in the corner, not being called on. Mm. Like I just had to physically be there. Be there yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my next job I took after that at a, I was doing UX design and they would do sprint meetings every week for like all morning. And it mm. was, if I didn't have my journal, I don't know what I would have done. Mm. It would have been awful. But I mean, I, again, like drawing was something that was just so a natural part of my rhythm of life from childhood anyway. So like, I just always in school, even, I mean, same thing, like school was so good because I was bored a lot. So I would just draw a lot. Um, yeah. And, so and what does that transition look like from doing your drawing in your sketchbook yeah. and somehow that turns into where you are now? I think same thing that you kind of mentioned earlier, like it took a while to build up a certain amount of clients and a, a certain amount of gumption that it mm. took to to realize my potential and to realize that people would actually pay for this. Yeah. Um, you know, I started with like small, really small, crappy website projects for people and mm. then I would somebody would ask me to like draw their logo or draw their name or something. I don't know. You get asked to do weird stuff, right? Yeah. When you're, when you're like on the periphery of the creative world, yeah, there are all kinds of weird things that sift through and, you know, sometimes the odd thing strikes a chord within you or, you know, all of a sudden you're doing something that someone else recognizes as special or whatever. That's right. Yeah. And one of those Fun, yeah, I can remember one of those fun projects that kind of came out of nowhere in like 07, 08. I met yeah. these guys in California on Twitter and they asked me, they were building some app and asked if I'd do illustrations for it. And it was bad. Like, I didn't even, I don't even think I sketched them out. Maybe I did. <laughs> but they were all vector. I mean, they were all yeah. illustrated. And it was, I just found the files the other day. I have really? a whole archive on Dropbox. Yeah. You've got I that think stuff that's, archived uh, back. You got like yeah. the whole. You're ready for one day when they do the Kyle Steed. Uh, what do you call it? The it's not the yeah the retrospective. <laughs> They're gonna go back to those early Illustrator icons for the uh, the website in 2001. But isn't that important? I think it's important. Yeah, it's good to keep a a record of all your not all your wrongs, but, but where you yeah. where you were in the moment and. It's also good. It's also good to um, I've found to every once in a while go back and kind of ruminate on how far you've come and how, those big transitions and all that. That that definitely uh, makes a big impact on me. Yes. Yeah. So then it was about what am I? My fourth year. So the end of eleven, starting out two thousand twelve, was when I made the initial jump. Well, not the initial. I made the mm -hmm. jump to working for myself and it's been uphill ever since. Mm. Um, it's, it definitely isn't always easy. No. And, but I haven't, I haven't wanted to give up. I haven't wanted to quit because it sometimes I feel like I was being forced into the corner, mm. but it, then something else would turn the corner and a, a, a new project would show up and it's, it's different now. I mean, two kids now and, a family to support. It's a lot more pressure than when we started and it was just me and my wife, you know, early days. I mean, you know, I think 
I've found that it doesn't matter how in demand I get, how much money I'm making a year. There's always going to be a few weeks in a year where things go quiet randomly. Um, and early on were those like scary times. Absolutely. Yeah. You, uh, I mean, we planned, we planned financially for about three or four months out of the gate uh-huh. that we knew if it, if everything went to shit, like we could, we could stay afloat for that long yeah. while I look for a new job. Yep. Within the first year we, de- you know, we depleted that. Um, taxes is just another beating. Oh man, don't even say that word. That word is my trigger word. <laughs> my whole my whole adult life taxes like oh gosh, like I just actually uh re I shared a thing on Facebook I saw where H&R Block and TurboTax actually lobby the government to to make sure that taxes stay as complicated and crazy as possible because awesome. it keeps them in business. I yeah. that makes me sick and I hate it. But um yeah, yeah it, it's a it's a super hard thing to navigate. And actually, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was about a year ago, it looks like you were writing on your blog about how you wanted to uh, maybe strike a better balance in work life and or or just a call to, you know, one of the things that's in my mind a lot recently is especially you see these agency people that, you know, they they want them there till till you know dusk till dawn and they want them sat at their their computer and sometimes mm-hmm. i've worked with uh clients that kind of i Overworked. feel yeah i feel like the pressure like they're like they're giving me that vibe like we paid you for the day and uh it's it's still it's 11:30 and we still have you and i'm like no that's not the way it works and so yes. are those the things that are have you struck a better balance? Are those the things that are still kind of um, on your plate that you're trying to work through? Yeah, I think I'm always we're always trying to work through. And I say we because it's a team effort now. With yeah, my wife especially is her coming on with doing project management more mm-hmm. with me. My wife I does take, some of that too, so I can. Yeah, relate. it's yeah. it's incredible. I mean, it's such a value mm. for me and takes a lot off of my plate. Um, but it, it took us, you know, almost four over four years to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, so every Friday I take off now. Fridays are my dad days, so That's I awesome. get I get my girls. So that right there alone limits me to. I pretty much work Monday through Thursday because I don't really, unless it's like push comes to shove and I have a big project or I'm doing yeah. a big girl, I I don't work the weekends either. So how does that affect your productivity? Oh, it's tough. It um, we were just laying in bed the other night talking about this, and like, why do we? And I think we're still processing some of this. And I'll just be real candid. Like, why do we fall back into the mindset that I have it that I work a nine to five when I don't? Like, mm. how can we be more creative in our schedules as a family and, and as my professional schedule instead of just clocking in at, at my home studio at, at nine a.m. and clocking out at five? Like. What, why do we assume that that's the norm? Like, mm. I don't know. It's that's it's really tough because sometimes I don't feel like when I come in here in the morning I want to get anything done, and sometimes it, sometimes I do. Sometimes it hits me at like six a.m. when I get out when I first wake up, and so. Yeah. But most, you know, other mornings I'm like I'm doing breakfast, and I there's just other responsibilities now mm-hmm. that. So really, like, 
managing time, but but fitting the creative element into man, it's 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 really a tough. process. I think especially for uh, a family man, and you know, I I've obviously gone through the same things. I've been kind of out on my own since it must have been 2011 full time. I'd had yeah. some like part time things in there, but uh, from before that, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, especially early on. There was it was just very a very difficult thing to kind of find a balance, find a way of making this work. Lots of you know give and take, and just mm-hmm. trying to navigate that. But I think as you go through the ups and downs, there you start to like both get on the same page, which is a massive deal. At least it is for me. And then the other thing I found recently is like. A lot of times I don't want to go sit at my desk and I'm and I'm thinking of ways of like, how can I make it so that I don't do that? And then as soon as I sit down, I like switch on and I'm like, all right, all right I'm here. I'm, I've showed up and I'm ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, do you, what, what things have you found that have helped you in your productivity or in that balance? Yeah, the sitting down and showing up is a big part of it. Yeah. But that's, it's so mental, like it's such a, not saying that you have to like see the outcome before you even do it, but you really have to get over that mental gap and Mm. sometimes just forcing yourself into it makes a way for it to just like happen and then it starts to flow out naturally, but sometimes I just don't feel it and like I, th- I think like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why did I choose a, a career to draw for a living? Like, it's so stupid. Like, <laughs> why am I, what am I doing? Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, things that helped me too. I mean, like going and I went and had a conversation with a, with a guy this morning who wants to do some video work with me. And uh-huh. so that is, that is exciting because it's helping. It helps spur me into creating more because he's going to be relying on me. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Those collaborations, I've found that too. I'm actually, I've been talking to a video guy. We've, we've come up with a bunch of different yeah. video, video projects for this, for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And actually that give and take of kind of both being in on it. And he keeps like pecking me and saying, Hey, well, you know, where are you at with this? And then I'll throw yeah. something back into his lap. And I do find that like getting out of your studio and, connecting and seeing like the bigger purpose. It's definitely hard to stay motivated when you, when you're day after day, go into oh. your little room, make stuff digitally, send it over. It just seems it gets to be yeah. meaningless. Well, that's why I've really loved embracing getting back to painting the yeah. last, this year especially. And I have two working panels mm. in my space right now. And so where I can, but it's sometimes I find myself just staring at the computer and I'm like, what am I doing? It's yes. just dumb. Yeah. I'm just wasting time. And so to shut it down and really just stare at a piece of wood and like, what am I going to put on it? Mm. And, and making, and just like, I love the part of the painting process because it's so, it involves all of your senses, I feel like. And it's just in a different way. Um, you can't just control Z your mistakes. Like you actually, yeah. it's very deliberate. It's very intentional. Um, for me, it's it a is. lot more meditative. I've, I've found when I do, whenever I've done murals and stuff and you have to be very, very present in that moment, 
it's very different to, you know, when I'm drawing on my Cintiq and it's like, control Z, control Z. Like, it's not, you know, I don't know. You don't have to be, it's, it's a lot more random. And I do find it to be kind of uh, a more like meditative practice. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's interesting. So you, so, all right. I wanted to say one thing else. So what in this past year or so, are you getting any nudges that are like opening up new doors, possibilities? Like what, what kind of happens for you when you can see maybe a new path emerging? Is that, does that happen to you? Does it, has it evolved over time and changes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just feel like I'm right in the, in the cusp of that turning a corner right and now. Yeah. Right now. What's that look like? Scary. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was just having this conversation this morning, too, where I feel like most, you just, I mean, from the get-go, you said most of your work this last couple of years has been murals, which is great, which I want to do, but it's been mainly like lettering and, yeah, yeah. and words, which that's fine, but for where I'm at now, I want to, I'm trying to say more without using words, mm. and I want it to be a little more thought-provoking than just like self-explanatory when you read it or witty or whatever you know I mean that stuff's fine and it's been great and I'm not I don't I don't regret doing any of the work I've done so far Um, but turning the corner and and trying to pursue something that's different and something that feels more personal I guess is what I'm getting at where it feels more vulnerable is a little scary because it's like putting yourself out there all over again and trying to not like redefine myself, but like this is a part of my process and this is a part of my evolution as an artist. And this is something new for me too. And it's new for, for people seeing it. So, and it's hard to, I just sometimes, I sometimes hate like the validation that comes in it when it's so new. Like I don't, it's not that I like I I don't like it when somebody tells me they like it or that it's good or whatever, but I still like I don't want that to cheapen the part where I just like stop there and I'm like, oh, that was good enough. Like that got you know, like I don't want to feel approved or validated in that. Like I want to keep I and I feel like I have that like that personal mm. like when do I know it's good enough? I don't know. Like yeah. you know that 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 internal drive of. Um, I can't think of the right word, but like exploring it for yourself more than you're exploring it for someone's, you know, Mm -hmm. thumbs up on Instagram or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, that's a tough balance too. And, um, you know, just kind of like that that internal compass of like, where is it, where is it pointing you and whether or not people come along behind that or not, like, are you still going to be willing to take the risk to, to pursue it? So when you start noticing like, oh, there's this, you know, the, the work I have been doing is maybe not as creatively fulfilling to me anymore as it was. And I still might enjoy it, but I want to like explore some new things. What do you, what kind of things do you actually do to shift that? Mm-hmm. Or what are you trying to do to kind of like actively shift the next few years? Painting right now is what I'm doing yeah. and showing, showing that process and being, I think, risking a certain level to show some of that work mm. and kind of just like pointing people in the direction that I want to go. And um, 
But it's been pretty cool. Like I just got connected with a guy from Canada mm-hmm. yesterday who's maybe interested in bringing me up to do some murals for an event he's putting on. So, yeah. I mean, it, you just never know where that stuff's going to come from. Like, in my experience, stuff comes up out of the blue. Like, just one day you're sitting there, bam, like an awesome opportunity. And that, that comes could- from, like, cataloging the thing, like just going ahead and doing the thing that you want to be doing, cataloging yeah. it, sharing it, and then the rest is up to who discovers it. Absolutely. So yeah. there's there's so much, it's just so much unknown in that, that you can try and plan and be purposeful and go by the book and do the metrics and I don't know, all that advertising, but yeah. like, <laughs> just, and I have a hard time of, of self-promoting, but um, yeah, it's the, the only thing you can do is just put your you just have to put yourself out there. And I think like showing the work that you want to do, I can't remember who's, who's um, attributed to that quote, but I love it because it's so true. Like if you're sick of doing the work that you've been doing, then if you're not doing, start doing some new work. Yeah. And start showing that. And over time, like your confidence will build in it. People will start and it's, people will start to see it. And I don't know, it's just constant. Like you just have to be, you have to be doing something. So if you're not doing something that you like, or I don't want to <laughs> kind of full circle, if you're not doing something that you love, yeah. you know, but it's, it's, it's always that, always that balance between. Yeah, absolutely. And that's doing it, not doing what you love. That's the thing for me is that the whole podcast, all of it goes back to it for me, where it's all about striking a balance between thriving financially, the business working, and also enjoying what you're doing. And it's, and to me, it's like the pendulum always goes back and forth. And so I'll want to start doing something new. And so I start making that stuff, but initially it's not making any money. By the time that thing starts being really in demand, I'm not super <laughs> into it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so you, so you have to have, you have to have the balance and you have to have the, for, for me, it's good that I have to support, uh, you know, three kids and my wife and all that, because it means that I have this, it's created this kind of balance to me to where when that email comes in my inbox and they, they want something that I did three years ago. If, you know, I have this thing that says, you got to do that. It it doesn't matter whether Mm -hmm. that's, you're excited about that. And the funny thing is when I'm true to that, I'll go back to that stuff. I'll do it better than I did it back then. And I'll, I'll, I'll learn something new or I'll be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that stuff. I'm going to bring that into my new practice. And so, you know, I found that riding that pendulum wave is actually really beneficial creatively, even in the most pure ways. Um, But yeah, that's definitely been the same, the same thing that's been in my, my uh, experience. And I I love that. One of the things we talk about a lot is like, you go ahead. What were you going to say? I said, well said. I feel like I'm interviewing you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you got to watch out for that, man. I'll go off on a, a giant tangent like it's, it's my interview. I'm so bad about it. Uh, I love to talk. You know what? That's an interesting thing, though. That was another thing. I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but the okay. thing that uh, your email got me thinking about was that, um, you know, so I really, I, I think when you say yes to, uh, being an adult, the call, whatever you want to call it, 
mm-hmm. and you and you think that you think you know what you're saying yes to. You know, when I started out, even thinking I was going to be an illustrator or a designer, um, and I'm like hustling on all that stuff and working really hard on it and and enjoying it. Um, I think it's funny the whole do what you love thing and, and and doing what you hate first because there was so much of that that was really hard and painful that I really hated. And then it's funny in the past couple years, uh, the podcast, I've found talking as a medium Mm. very bizarre. And I Mm. found that I loved this more than anything that I've ever done. And it's like, but I would have never done this had I not done all this other, you know, I could have Mm -hmm. never seen these dots before yeah. that that's how yeah. Steve Jobs says it he had a commencement speech where he talks about you can't connect the dots looking forward you kind of have to live them and you can kind of see how they line up but sure. um but yeah it's it's just bizarre that you know doing a bunch of stuff that I that was painful and hard actually led me to this place where I I would have never known how how much I would have never found the talking as a medium had I not done a podcast about illustration um yeah. So that's, you know, it's fascinating the way that that yeah. all plays out. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, well, man, I really appreciate you taking time to do this. And I had a blast kind of hearing your story. Was there anything? I've got two other little things. One, was there anything okay. that you wanted to make sure you put in here before we go sign out? No, I was just excited to have a conversation about that. I think it was good. You just caught me in like really deep thought at the, the tail end there. So I was like, let's <laughs> <laughs> face out, which is what? really bad for a podcast. What were you thinking about? Oh, I mean, the connecting the dots thing is, is so, I mean, it's just so right on. You oh, can't, yeah. you can't. For, you can't plan. You can plan for the future. I mean, you can mm. say like where you want to go, but nine times out of 10, it's not going to happen that way. Yeah. And you have to be willing to accept the risk that when the wheels fall off, you know, that you either have such an internal focus and Mm. direction that it doesn't matter. You're still going to get there somehow and you're going to figure out a way to put the wheels back on or to build something new Mm. to make it go again. Um, But yeah, I mean, when you look back, like, it, it becomes a little more clear over time how all of this stacked up and added together and now makes sense to where you are. Yeah, totally. And, and I think for me, it's like the thing I'm always trying to encourage people with is I think your nature is to either be someone who rides waves or makes waves. And you mm-hmm. actually have to, I think a lot of times you got to let go of your nature to a degree. So for me, my nature is to make waves. I want to sit around, ideate, think about where I want to go and then make that happen. But what what ends up happening is as I'm on that journey, I get pecked by something I didn't expect. There's a wave that's coming up that I didn't see coming. And if I don't ride that wave, I massively regret it. Like for instance, when I did, um, this is a good example of me like massively failing on this was uh, <laughs> I, I did this indie rock coloring book when I graduated uh, college and I did it because I wanted to work with indie bands. I wanted to like uh, do uh, gig posters, but I was in the UK where that hadn't quite taken off. And there was just like, no, I could not get my hands on screen printing stuff. Like I, it was just like, wouldn't happen. So that was the best I could do to kind of like jump in. Yeah. And actually what ended up happening is I get all these like um, 
these little inklings that maybe there was a wave to do coloring books. And this was like years before this ridiculous <laughs> wave of adult coloring books. And, and my wife was yeah. like, you got to do this. You got to do coloring books. Like this is, there's a thing there. And I was like, no, for, I, I didn't even want to do that. It has nothing to do with it. And looking back, I just think, man, I was such an idiot. I couldn't take that tap on the shoulder. And I've tried to recently be more active about noticing where's this wave going and let go yeah. of the need to control yeah. where it's going. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's been true in my life. Um, that's so funny. I know. It's, uh, my, where did, where is it? Oh, it's right there. I could see it on our shelf, an adult coloring book that my wife bought. <laughs> and I just shook my head when she brought it home. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's a it's a crazy world that we live in these days. Uh, so, all right, one last thing. Do you have? Yes. A, are you a reader? I'm a very slow reader. Me too. I do read slowly. Do you have any books, creative books, business books, anything that made a big impact on you that you want to share with everybody? Uh, the War of Art is a fantastic book. Yes, I almost actually already referenced that because. Uh, 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 we were talking about, you know, sitting down at the table and, you know, being yeah, that resistance. Yeah. yeah, man. That that's a big thing. That's a great I book. have probably like a dozen little sticky notes stuck in that book still. Totally. Um another one that's just been on a more practical, useful level is the um what is it? The pricing and ethical guidelines book. Yeah, the yeah. Graphic designers guild. It's it's sometimes still really confusing to read through and like pick out exactly what you need but more often than not it's been really helpful especially when you're getting down to the nitty-gritty of like pricing or if you've got to look at like licenses or something yeah. um, it's good to have like a baseline even if you don't take it verbatim i think that yeah, yeah that that's helpful other than that i've been trying to go back and read the harry potter books dude i am so uh, such a nerd for that man Honestly, like I, uh, we, we got the, my, my brother, uh, bought my wife every, uh, DVD and, mm -hmm. and oh, that's what I got for Christmas on Blu-ray. Yeah, oh man, that's awesome. You had that set. We, we binged those and I became such a, I came, I became so obsessed. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, I, I don't know. It, it rocked my world. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Have uh, you read stuff? I've read, uh, the first Four or oh, five. Okay, then you gotta. I know, man. Maybe I gotta... you'll get an early Christmas present in the mail or something. <laughs> yeah. They're supposed to be redesigning all the covers. I just oh, was that's cool. A month or two ago, I think they, if they were coming out in April or May this yeah, year, yeah. I can't remember the designer. Um, Did you shit. see the new? Uh, I think they just launched a new trailer for her uh, new, th the Fantastic Beasts. It's in the oh, same world and everything. I think it just came out today, but it looks pretty good. Well, anyway, man, I appreciate your time yeah. so much. Yeah, man, thank you. Uh, we'll do it. Let's do another episode just about Harry Potter and we'll, we'll start okay. a different podcast. It'll just be the <laughs> Harry Potter podcast. Uh, but I really appreciate it, man. I appreciate all the stuff you're doing and uh, thank thanks you. for taking all this time out away from work and your babies and all that good stuff. And I, also, if I'm ever, are you, uh, you're in Texas still? Yes, sir. All right. If I'm ever yep, down there, I'm yeah. going to, hey, where are you at in Texas? I live in Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to be in Austin uh, for Icon this year. Um, cool. So, but anyway, um, yeah. if I'm ever nearby, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you a shout. Yes, sir. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for your time. 
Thanks, Andy. Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show. I hope everybody got so much from that and so much from his story. I think it's uh, there's a lot of good lessons there about, you know, you don't have to do this only one way. It's not just... Uh, there's not just one path to success, and you can start late, you can start um, differently, and you can get to really interesting places. So thank you, Kyle. I really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective with us. It means a lot, and I'm sure it means a lot to my audience. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. I hope this episode helps you find clarity and strategy for your creative career. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to our proud syndicate, Illustration Age. And thank you to Nate Utesh and his band, Metavari, for all the other tunes. I really appreciate it. Go check out FuseSessions.com and go sign up for that workshop in Indianapolis on illustration. Thanks, guys, for that. And don't forget to go give me a good review on the old iTunes that helps other people find the show. Thank you guys so much. Do whatever you got to do this week, man. Just do anything you've got to do. I don't care if you break the law. Well, don't break the law, but do other, other than breaking the law, uh, other than hurting anybody, stealing anything, um, hurting yourself. Don't do that. I mean, do nearly anything you've got to do to stay pepped up. I will talk to you guys soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.